right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. All right, guys, welcome back to the podcast. We are not going to be debriefing uh, any professional golf on this episode. Uh, I am on vacation currently. I think you can look for something potentially on the trap draw feed uh, in the coming days uh, from the guys that are back home. Um, this episode is going to be my conversation I had out at Callaway with uh, television producer Jeff Newbarth. Jeff works for Callaway but has worked in golf for a long time, producing stuff. He's going to talk about his background, but uh, most importantly and most relevant to the conversation in today's game is his work he's done with Fox and as well on The Match. Uh, this I found this conversation absolutely fascinating for as much as we talk about television coverage. There's a lot of questions that get answered here and a little bit of hope that he gives us that things are, things are going to be changing. Now, we did record this episode before uh, kind of some news came out about Turner potentially getting involved in golf coverage and being uh, bidding on the rights. So we don't specifically talk about that, but we do talk about uh, contract negotiations that are coming up and uh, how things might potentially change. Um, great conversation with Jeff. This is really, really fascinating. And at the end, he, he, uh, he mentions that he wants people to reach out to him with any questions they may have about television coverage. He's a very helpful guy. Before we get going here, uh, the Epic Forged Irons that I mentioned um, back on the Jason Bone and Lumpy podcast, they are officially out. Callaway has been the number one irons in golf for over four years now, thanks to the Apex, Rogue, and Big Bertha irons. Now they have another set to add to the industry-leading mix, the Epic Forged Irons. Stunningly beautiful, ultra-premium, packed with industry-leading technologies, help you launch it easier and hit it further. They got 360 face cup for the faster ball speeds and urethane microspheres for pure feel. The Epic Forged Irons are truly next level. Big Randy is waiting on these. And I've actually, I got them nuking up a four iron for me that's going to, I think, be bent down to basically like a two iron. I have no idea why. They're just telling me to trust them. But uh, it's going to kind of become a driving iron for me. But these things are supposed to be pretty sweet and I can't wait to try mine out. Visit Callaway Golf dot com slash epic forge more photos videos specs and uh get yours now if you want they are in stores so that's the new epic forged irons from callaway the number one irons in golf without any further delay let's get to jeff newbarth all right we're here in a uh, much fancier studio than we have back home at the kill house i'm here out here at callaway uh with jeff newbarth jeff what uh, first of all what is your position here with callaway and what is kind of your background we're going to talk uh, kind of just television production, golf production. We we obviously have a lot of critiques of it, but we're, we we need you to punch us back a little bit and kind Hold of on, set you, us straight. You, you guys critique production li- every now and then. Like we'll have I've, we'll I've chime in. I've never heard that from you. Mostly guys it's DJ. It's almost entirely it's DJ. It's always DJ, right? <laughs> totally. It wouldn't be you because that's why DJ didn't come out here to exactly. face the music. No, exactly. but uh, I'm currently the executive producer here of Callaway Media Productions at Callaway Golf. So we kind of have our own media company uh, within the golf brand company, and we're lucky enough to have. Uh, a great team of people. We can do everything from a commercial to feature videos to we do our own podcast. We have our own podcast network, which is crazy uh, to think about a brand doing that. I would that. hope so with this studio that you yeah, have. No, we got to use this thing, right? We're trying to do it more and more. We do stuff with Sirius XM, uh, lots of our partners, stuff with you guys, mm-hmm. uh, ad shoots with players. So kind of a, a, a great thing is we never know what we're going to do. Like something literally just came to me like, hey, we need to do this today. I'm like, all right, so here we go. We, we move quick. We pivot quickly. Uh, and that's what makes it great to work here. 
And what's your background kind of, you know, you've worked in a lot of different places. You've done a lot of television production. Uh, kind of gives us an idea of what your background is. In that yeah, I've been super lucky. So uh, I went to uh, Syracuse a billion years ago to uh, study broadcasting. Always knew I wanted to be in, in broadcasting and knew very quickly I wanted to be behind the scenes, uh, mostly for aesthetic reasons. But also just I have this passion of producing and, um, you know, sort of troubleshooting. Like I always love to think of, okay, if this goes wrong, what would I do here? And that's kind of what television production is. So I started at USA Network. Uh, back then, we had like 30-some-odd PGA Tour events. So I got to do a little bit of that, but we were basically the, the two-day facility check for the network. So CBS would show up, and they would spend two days figuring out if their cameras worked by putting it on the air on USA Network. So that was really fun. Uh, and then from there, uh, did some stuff for Fox Southeast uh, locally, uh, a lot of SEC hoops and ACC hoops, and then went to ESPN. Uh, and got lucky enough to uh, do some SEC hoops and then eventually Sunday Night Baseball, their main NBA show, um, almost uh, just tons of events that they had. Didn't do a lot of college football, but almost everything else ESPN had, and then got to work on the Open Championship uh, with Mark Loomis. And then when Mark went to Fox, uh, even though I'm still full-time here at Callaway, I do work for Fox doing uh, at least the Men's and Women's Open. Some years I'll do the Senior Open, kind of as a producer sitting right behind Mark, working with uh, Joel Klatt this year, working on sort of the non-golf stuff, and then also working with the technology guys, which I love doing. It was first year I got to do that this year. Uh, so basically, all these guys who are coming up with different ways to look at what's happening on the golf course through numbers and and stats and technology, which I love, uh, getting to help integrate that. So let's start there with Fox. Take me to like how different the way they do things is versus things you, how you've seen things done in the past. And I think to not to... I want to give them credit for that, but also kind of say, like, they don't have the blueprint that, say, CBS or NBC has. They don't have the week-to-week. I mean, the the one thing I will excuse with mostly with CBS is seeing how big these production trucks are, seeing how big this operation is. Like, there's not time to be like, all right, this week, we're doing it different. Like, this, we're changing everything this yeah, week. Yeah, and, so. and, and look, this isn't a knock on, on Lance Barrow, the, the longtime coordinating producer at CBS, or Tommy Roy at NBC. Um, I can't do what those guys do. Respect the hell out of them. But they've been doing it since before I even started, and I'm not young. So we haven't had a lot of change and turnover in golf, um, and I don't know if that's good or not. You know, you could argue that, you know, Fred Gidelli, um, you know, who's probably the best live producer I've ever seen, um, you know, has been doing the NFL show first for NBC or uh, Monday Night Football and ABC and then Sunday Night Football when it went to NBC for a long time, and that show most people consider the best produced show in, in sports television, you know, Fred and Drew show. Um, but a lot of other places have had changed, right? So when Tony Romo came into CBS, that wasn't just Tony Romo coming into it. They brought Jim Rickoff in to produce it. That was a new set of eyes. So at Fox, uh, the biggest philosophical change, and this is all from Mark Loomis, is when if me and you were going to go play golf, which I don't know why we don't do, but we probably should sometime, we're going to play from the tee to the green. Yet for years and years, golf has been broadcast from the green to the tee. Everything has been broadcast in a reverse. Hmm. So Mark's first sort of message, and when we started back in Chambers Bay, was we are going to cover golf the way people play golf. So we have more handheld cameras. We have more tracer, uh, especially when we started doing it. Now everyone has tracer, but we literally have tracer with almost every shot. Change the game, really. um, But But the goal of that was you can't see it from behind you. So that's why, but but think about it. Like there's nothing worse to me when, when you're watching a shot and a guy hits an iron shot and it cuts to behind the green and it's just in the sky. I hate that. I have no I idea where it is. It. I don't know where it's going. Half the time it's on tape. So the announcer who's down there can't talk because you really can't talk when you're on tape unless certain times you can, but you have to listen as an announcer when the ball is hit and you have to be 
darn sure you know which shot they're showing because sometimes it's one to two shots behind. But that ability to go from tee to green was sort of the philosophical shift that golf hadn't seen. And that to me is has been Mark's sort of biggest accomplishment. Uh, and then the hard part is fine-tuning the talent, right? I mean, think about it from year one when it was Kurt Menefee and Tom Weisskopf in a studio, uh, Greg Norman up in the booth with Joe, who'd never called golf before, um, you know, some other changes. Now, when you add in a Paul Azinger, you add in a Curtis Strange, you add in Joel Klatt, you have some really top-notch people, and it just takes time Shots to evolve. Shots fired at Shane Bacon there. I'm I just love kidding. <laughs> you know what? I, I, let, let me say this. Shane is going to, in the next 10 or 15 years, be the voice of golf. Yeah. I don't doubt that. Um, there's a whole Shane section we probably should get to <laughs> because I'm probably one of Shane's biggest cheerleaders along with you guys. But but Shane getting added to that second booth um, in place of some other folks who we're not going to talk about um, changed things. And he and Brad are so good together that it really just adds another. You have an A-plus announced team no matter where we are. Because a couple years ago, um, it was it was kind of, you know, I, I don't read too much of what the critics write, but I, I have a really thick skin. Uh, I mean, you've talked to me after shows I've done. I, I don't let it bother me. I, you know, I sort of tell people like, hey, if you can do it better and want to put my shoes on and sit there and do it, in the heat of the moment, you have no time to make a decision. But one of the, the guys from a, a publication, you know, slaughtered Fox, and the reason he slaughtered it was for the two and a half hours that it was like Shane O'Donohue, and I don't even remember who was with him in there, you know, calling golf. And it's like, if you're going to judge, that's that's like basically, you know, criticizing the Patriots right now because they don't have the best third string quarterback for right. Tom Brady. Like, like judge it on the, on the, the air 18. Like 14 hours a day. Yeah, like, like at some point, human nature, you, you know, I, I guarantee that guy wasn't sitting in the press room for 14 hours a day. Mm-hmm. So, you know, stuff like that kind of frustrates me a little bit. But, but all in all, um, that's sort of been the biggest kind of difference. And, and you're right, the not doing it week to week. Look, if you watch the, the, the juniors this week on, on FS1, you're not going to see that technology the same as you're going to see at a U.S. Open. That's just budgets. Mm-hmm. And budgets drive everything now, and that didn't used to be the case. Not to fluff Fox too much on this, but it felt like that first year, I think there was a big inward look and like a lot of things that you guys needed to improve on. And there yeah. wasn't any ego that went with it I felt like it was like yeah. yeah like we that didn't go as well as we'd have liked to but that was and you kind of knew I would imagine that you had to learn that way there was no yeah. there's no training course so, for what you're about to go so through. the first year at Chambers Bay I didn't work on the main broadcast I worked on the digital broadcast with uh, Tim Brando Mark Brooks which went really well I thought we went okay I mean it was it was the advantage we had is we covered all 18 holes and and look this is where I think it's funny about sports TVs, especially when you start getting into the awards season of sports TVs. Some of the worst shows I've ever done have won like awards. <laughs> and some of the best shows I've ever done people have not liked because the ratings weren't down. What saved the digital coverage on that first year, I don't know if you remember on Sunday, we made a decision to start off and show Phil for nine holes. So to come on the air when Phil was on 10 instead of doing something that, that, that they had planned. Then we picked Rory up for this first hole. Well, Rory goes out, what do you shoot, 64 that day? Something like that, and, yeah. And we had every shot. And then from there, we went to, I think, the Snedeker group, who was like third back. And, and at that point, it didn't matter because the, the big guys were on TV and, and everything was, was unfolding in front of us. But having the decision that we made, um, and Mark was a big part of that decision, Kevin Landy, myself, to go with Phil Rory, as opposed to just kind of coming on two hours later and picking up whomever made sense just to back time to Snedeker, that changed the featured groupings um, coverage. And that kind of showed people like, oh, this can pivot and this can be kind of something that, that we want to see. And then year two... Uh, at Oakmont, Mark moved me into sort of the main unit kind of behind him. Uh, but yeah, there was a lot of uh, self-doubt uh, and self-assessment between um, you know Chambers Bay and, and, and Oakmont. Yeah, but it felt, it felt like there was, all right, we did these five things great. The technology stuff is totally different. The yeah. audio, I think it, the audio, 
that Fox has always had really takes you much closer to the action. There's some people didn't like the mics in the cups and whatnot, yeah. but I liked it because you hear like you know an exasperated like Tiger like. <sighs> yeah. Well, did did you notice the change this year in the cup the, mics? The, you couldn't hear the ball. In the yeah. Cup. So yeah. so a conscious change was made to not show the ball rattle. However, we left the mic up when the flag stick was left in, mm-hmm. so you would hear that because we thought that was kind of cool and yeah. that was kind of unique and kind of different. But sort of the biggest change in the philosophy this year was doing that. But why was that? Just people uh, didn't care I, I, for it. I just think we didn't care for it. Really. Ultimately, I think we watched the broadcast back. You know, one of the things we do, and this is the advantage of having one major championship as opposed to these guys who have 30 weeks of of golf is we all sat as a team and watched it as a production team and then mark sat uh with a group of announcers and watched it and no one talked and they watched and i don't know how often you know how often do you go back and listen to your pods decently often i'll let some time pass and then go back and i I do the same thing every pod i do with callaway i listen to every single one and i always try to wait like two weeks to kind of listen to it but a lot of people don't do that in tv because you're just going show to show to show to show to show you got to watch your stuff and by watching it, we're like, this is a change. And especially with the flag stick in, it gave us that opportunity to, to say, well, that'll be the time that it makes sense to do it. But the best things we've got out of it, like there was a DJ moment uh, at Shinnecock, uh, a couple that he didn't F-bomb, but there were a few good moments where, where he said things about break and stuff. You would have never heard that if there wasn't for a mic in the cup. Right. So I think they have value. I oh, think it's sure. just we're, we're tweaking and learning. And that's where I think people almost misunderstood what the purpose of those mics. It wasn't to hear the ball go in the hole. No. It was like, we need to get the audio yeah, close I think, to these. I think, you know, Fox throughout its history has been a pioneer in audio. You know, Joe Carp, who's the lead audio, uh, and this is why I always laugh when people, you know, said things like, oh, these guys are unqualified, don't know what we're doing. You know what, Joe Carp is probably one of the top five A1s uh, lead mixers in the world. He does the World Series. He does, you know, so many big shows, I can't even name them or we'll run out of time. But like, if that guy knows what he's doing. Yeah. And, and it's not about that. And the camera guys who, you know, year one, everyone's like, oh my God, they had the worst camera guys. They're the exact same camera guys say. that work for NBC, CBS, everyone else. Chambers Bay was just impossible. How does that work? The cameramen are not exclusive to the networks. Is that right? Some cases. Some yeah. cases they are. Some cases they aren't. Uh, and, and there's sort of a, a goodwill, good faith community within the golf broadcasters. Look, you know, uh, I went to, uh, you know, with Ethan and, and Tyler, we went to Pebble Beach this year, and I was excited to go in and see Lance and Jim Rickoff and those guys and say hi, and, and Molly Solomon, we ran into her when we were shooting the Golden Tate piece over um, at, at NBC, and we, we were happy with everybody. And I think most people in sports television get along, and, and look, you know, those camera guys want to work, and if, if they were told you can only work with one network, there right. wouldn't be enough work for them. Right. So... Uh, you know, they they are afforded the luxury of working for different places, and that makes us all better. Well, you just kind of touched on something there that made me kind of make something I hadn't really thought of. When you said lead mixer, like for audio. Yeah. So take us behind the scenes. Like oh, how my do, goodness. Like, so the way I picture like all this live stuff and the more and more I uncover it, I don't know what the analogy is, but it just seems like there's your this train that's on a track and it's yeah. going to go no matter what yeah. and trying to incorporate like do all these things while you're on that train is so difficult i mean all the things that are flowing at once like whether it's the live shot a replayed shot the graphics that have to go up onto it the announcer's got to know what's going on the on course reporters and then use that audio yeah. that you just mentioned hadn't really even so, thought of so 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 the way that i look at it is is it's it's air traffic control Right, so there's one plane that's going to land at a time, and there's one that's going to take off seconds later. That's what's on the screen. That's what you see at home. There's a lot of planes in the air. There's a lot of planes on the ground that are being loaded up. Some are being fueled. Some are taxiing to take off. That's mm. all happening at once. And the producer and the director are the team that makes that all happen. So the most important thing is what's happening on the screen. 
but there's so many different things. So, um, you know, there's a big contrast between something like the U.S. Open and something like the match. And I'd love to have you come out at some point to, to a U.S. Open and, and, and literally come early in the week and see the setup and then stay and watch how we go on the air and I'd do it. Because um, just an audio alone, let's take that for an example. So Joe Carp has a team of multiple mixers. So using full mixers that would normally do an entire basketball game by itself are mixing just effects on holes because we put out so many different mics. So when we go to, say, the seventh hole, there's a guy who's responsible for, say, the odd holes or the first six or the middle six or whatever that is mixing just the effects on that hole. And then Joe is taking that effects mix, mixing it with the announcers who are talking. Because remember, each announcers have different assignments of different holes that they're doing. So, you know, in our case, Paul and Joe have the evens except for the first hole. And then Shane and Brad have the odds and they get the second hole instead of one. Um, you know, so Joe Carp has to know, okay, we're going to Tiger on the third hole. That's this submix, which is going to be mixing the third hole for all the audio. I'm going to have the announcers of Brad and Joe. And then, oh, by the way, I have a course reporter who's with Tiger. I'm going to do that. And then when we go into the tracer, it all goes to delay. So if you notice when we cut, you're losing frames. So we try to go to a tight shot of him or his hands. You try never to go like wide in the middle of a practice swing or literally you would see time shift. And then when you cut and the tracer goes up, when you cut to the ball coming down, you actually regain time, so you're going ahead. So that's why we don't use tracer on a shot, say, 120 or shorter. Hmm. Because the the time of, of, of that you lose when you go from the cut of the delay trace to real would yeah. be so jarring you wouldn't want to do it. It does seem like when there's pro tracer on the screen that the ball lands quicker on it the does, green, but it's because you're, you're, you're picking time. up time. Yeah, yeah. You're, you've lost time, then you're picking up time. And I think you mentioned something to me, in the, too, about the uh, trying to get the tracer matched up with the film and yeah. the audio, yeah. uh, getting the audio in there. So, so to give you an example of the match, you know, one of the things that makes a, a an event that you have lots of golfers a little bit easier is you have lots of people hitting golf balls. So even at Fox, when we come, we don't come on with the first shot of the day. You know, we come on, you know, two hours in, we've been able to test all our tracers and the audio. And there, there's a team of people that literally goes tracer to tracer. Does this work? Is it in sync? Is it in time before they sign off that we can use it? Because we can always go to the same camera clean. And that's what happens when it is less than 120 yards. So the camera would be X and then we have Kleenex. And for like two years, I thought Steve Beim, just our director, wanted like a tissue. But apparently there's Kleenex. And then when he said clean Y, I'm like, oh, that's what that means. Um, but for the match, we didn't have that ability. We didn't have anyone else out there before Phil and Tiger. So we took one of the assistant pros at Shadow Creek and literally made him go with a mat around the entire golf course and hit balls uh, for the first six holes because we had six tracers for that set up to make sure that they all worked. How do the tracers work that aren't like the ones that are stationary on tee boxes? I can I can picture working pretty well, but mm -hmm. I mean, is it just a camera that you take out there and it picks up the golf ball? Yeah, it's 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 the well, it's a, it's a whole camera system. Yeah, that's on on the lens of the camera that picks it up and basically um, uses the properties of what the ball's doing and and follows it mathematically. It's I, it's I remember, phenomenal. I remember that first time I saw that uh, when Ricky was in the fescue at uh, Aaron Hills, yeah. <laughs> the pro tracer came out. I was like, wait a second here. That yeah. is taking it to the next level. Yeah, it's 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 amazing what these guys can do. And, um, you know, I don't like watching golf without it. Yeah, it's it's and, really and hard the to watch only one, The it. only one I'll give a pass to is Augusta. But even at Augusta, we're starting to get a little... Like, like to me, the 15th tee shot at Augusta is my most frustrating one because they always have that... that there's no room to put a, a tower behind 15. Yeah. So they have that handheld that's about the height that I am right now, really low. And it just hits up, especially in the day, it just hits up into a sky. And you've with all those trees down there, you've no idea where that ball's going. The one thing I think that maybe the next the next step in the in the pro tracer is, and you know, Fox was a, again the leader in this is pointing out where the target is. Yeah. And I think there's still something there about like fairway width. Like when the guy hits a shot, you still you can maybe see the fairway yeah. where it is, but 
Like if there's some kind of shaded area of like here's where, where this is going to be a good shot and here's where it's not. Yeah. That that I think adds something to it, but that's and, and and the other thing that makes it so challenging at a U.S. Open is remember they're changing the setup each day. Yeah. We don't get that ahead of time. So literally, as uh, well now it's it's John Bodenhammer and the team that's doing the setup. As they do it, they radio in to the USGA and they send it to us. Like hole one is going to play 406 yards. The whole location's here and this. So like we're literally building on the fly because sometimes they're setting up the last few holes, 16, 17, 18, 7, 8, 9, while we're on the air with the first holes. Mm-hmm. So it's just real challenging. One thing that, uh, again, the, the benefit of you know, only doing so many events a year versus the week-to-week stuff, but one thing, I, I, I talked to somebody at uh, Country Club of Charleston right after yeah. the uh, U.S. Women's Open, yeah. and uh, he was just so excited about the week and how it went, and he said, you know, I couldn't believe it, but Brad Faxon got a hold of me and sat with me and met with me for hours to learn the history of this golf course. Yep. And the point was kind of like, there's no point in going to this golf course if you're not going to tell the history. You're not going to yeah. tell the reason like why this is a Seth Rainer golf course and why this shot matters and what the strategy is of it. And he was just so impressed that Brad like went to that level to do that. Well, I'll tell you this about Brad. Brad would do that if he had 35 weeks a year of golf. Yeah. Brad, is, Brad is a savant in the sense of, and I don't know who else, and I'm not trying to knock anybody else, but who else has the ability to talk about the pressure of playing in major championship golf because he did that the coaching ability, especially in short games, because he currently does that, and has this passion for architecture. He and Gil Hans just have these conversations for hours. That's why we put Gil with Brad and Shane, mm-hmm. because it turns into two architectural geeks, and Shane certainly is super knowledgeable about the history of the game and, and architecture as well. But Brad is just so passionate about all that stuff. Each guy, like Zinger, is super into the mental game of golf. You always hear him talk about it. it's not about the swing, it's about what's between the years. And that's what you're going to hear from Paul this, uh, you know, at Portrush and any other tournament that he does. That's Zinger's sort of lane. Brad is really into the history and the architecture, and that's why they work so well together. Yeah. I think Brad is, I think he's, one, he's improved tremendously, and I think he's got a future as one of the Hall of Fame announcers, just based on, like, I'm hanging on every word he's saying on, on the broadcast, and it's, I hope he kind of bridges the gap, and I think he does between the casual fan and the and the really advanced fan, I think, as well. And that's where him and Shane work so well together. Yeah. Because they, you could tell that this is how they talk all day off the air. They play a lot of golf together and are talking that way on the golf course. You know, we do the, and I got to say this word very slowly, sectional qualifying show together with Brad and Shane, and we do the USGA year in review with them. And and they're just friends. And there's something about chemistry. You know, to me, I always tell people the most important thing in television with your announcers is the chemistry. So certain shows I've done, certain, you know, programs I've worked on, the chemistry's not there and you can't fake that. Right. But when you have great chemistry and it's readily apparent, I mean, Joe and Paul are really close. You can tell that. But, you know, Joe and Troy, when they do, and Joe and John Smoltz. But chemistry is beyond important. And if you don't have that, you can't fake it. And that's something Brad and Shane have. Well, we, we, uh, I got a chance to go in the, uh, Randy and I went to the NBC truck, production truck at the KPMG Women's PGA. And by the time this episode comes out, I will imagine that we've posted that video. But I was just amazed at, well, I mean, one, I, I knew this existed, but the level of infrastructure that goes into it, uh, a live event. You can't even picture it. I tried to capture it on video and you just can't even understand how many, I must've seen 10,000 buttons and yeah. I couldn't tell you how many chords. And like, does that, how does that compare to any other sports you've done? Oh, I mean, it's, it's by far the most infrastructure. Think about this. And I'm trying to find a picture right now to kind of illustrate it. Um, you know, if you think about um, the infrastructure of a football game, right? You could have, I mean, well, let me go back to NBA. Cause I did, you know, when I did the NBA finals, we would have 45, 46, 47 cameras. There's only one ball. 
So really the only job is just to keep the ball in frame and everyone will be okay. Everything will be okay. But if if you think about it this way, um, that if you look at, and I'm showing you an overhead view from a drone of the U.S. Open compound, and I'll I'll make sure you have that picture so you can share that with with people who were talking about it. But, I mean, there's probably 55 or 60 trucks in this this complex, uh, each of them 53-foot mobile unit, which is the largest you're allowed to travel with on the road. Um, You know, what's what's crazy about it to me is – that if you look at NBA, you know, you'll have really one game truck, you'll have a support or truck or two for really, whether it's um, graphics and replays, you could sort of outsource those guys a little bit. And then you have another one for like Sports Center, um, you know, the jump and all the other shows that they're going to do. And even of those 45 cameras, though, half of them are like, we have a camera in each locker room. Well, that's only used pregame, halftime and postgame. You have the walk shots. So, like one of the shots our director Jimmy Moore loved was when, when you know, especially when we were doing the Lakers with Kobe Staples, has this beautiful walk back to the locker room with all this kind of historical stuff. Well, we would have to put three or four robotic cameras up just to cover it in case we couldn't get a guy through because sometimes there's just a lot going on. Um, in golf, you have 18 holes. You have you know up to 30 something balls in the air at one time. You got to be covering them all at once. Mm-hmm. So that just leads to this infrastructure. And then when you again, like when you start adding delay into it, when you start adding high complex graphics into it. Um, there's just so much that comes in. And then RF is the big sort of hero of this whole thing. When you were in that compound, those giant towers that go 30, 40, 50 feet up in the air. Well, think about communication. Each group has a spotter with them for spotting and scoring. Well, that's on RF communication. You have your course walkers. You could have three, four, five, six of those. You have different entities covering it. So you're going to have Sky out there sometimes. You're going to have Japan out there. You're going to have other, you know, PGA Tour Live out there. Every bit of that's running off of RF, and they all have to be coordinated, and these frequencies all have to be dialed. And so the technicians <laughs> of golf crews are the heroes, yeah. and they're the underappreciated heroes, quite honestly, mm-hmm. who, who really make this whole thing happen. What is something, and we might have touched on eight things already, but something that myself and any viewers at home probably don't understand about a live golf production? How quickly we forget the mistakes that we make. I think that in the live environment, you beat yourself up over and over when you watch something like weeks after you do, I'm sure like after you do a podcast, you watch, like, oh my God, why did I ask that question? Right. Or how did I do it this way? In the live moment, you're gone. Yeah. So you may get a reaction like when a bad graphic comes in, you're probably going to hear the producer like, come on guys, we can't do that. And it's gone. It's over. Yeah. And that's it's, the stuff that I on. think is pretty forgivable. I don't think, yeah, you got, yeah, yeah. I don't think people beat people no, up. No, no, no. Well, we beat ourselves up because yeah, we, sure. we want everything to be perfect. But even the decision, um, you know, to go to a feature at a time and you miss something, you know, one of the one of my favorite moments in in TV was back in 2000 at Sydney at the Olympics. Uh, I was the tape producer for NBC's women's soccer coverage. We were, yeah, you know, we did a whole bunch of different shows, mm-hmm. but we were doing women's soccer. And Molly Solomon, the executive producer of the Golf Channel, was was working the the show at the time, and we went to a commercial during the women's soccer, it was either the quarterfinal or semifinal, because that's what you did back then. You mm-hmm. went to commercials during soccer. You waited for the ball to be in a dead end throw-in. So as we're in commercial, no. it was like throw-in, Foudy steal, kick it to Mia, kick it up to, to Chastain, they scored. So now we come back, and we have to replay a goal that oh, you missed. No. And as we replay the goal that we missed, we almost missed another one. Oh so God. Dick Embersall, the longtime chairman of NBC Sports, walked in the control room, and when he walked in, it was a very much a command presence. And he's like, how many more commercials do we have left in the soccer game? And the associate director's like, we have two. He goes, no, we don't. We have zero. We will not be taking them anymore in soccer. 
And that's it. We never took another commercial in soccer. And so we yeah. loaded up halftime. That's where they started doing the sponsored segments and stuff like yeah. that. So I think just the the amount of people that work on these things, you probably, I mean, there's probably over 500 people working on the U.S. Open for Fox. I mean, even for the match, we had well over 100 people, and that's just two guys hitting golf balls. Um, it just takes that many people to kind of do it and do it right, and the support staff that goes into it. Well, and I want to talk some about the match too, but I also kind of want to talk about more of the week to week in the NBC and CBS stuff, which I know yeah. you're not you're not a part of those teams. And I, uh, I, I well, want to give... been a part of them though because when have. I did the USA Network early round golf, I was there for a lot of the time. So, so. kind of specific to that, I kind of want to. I, I'm having a big issue watching golf on weekends, and it's not. Me too. I don't think it's the fault of CBS, and I know we're really hard on them, but like. I don't think it's their fault that they have to run so many commercials. I think yeah. they've paid it's so not, much damn money for the rights. Well, it's it's not their fault. It's the contract. The yeah. contract stipulates, because think about it, it's not just commercials. It's promotional. So so each amount of, of broadcast will get X amount of commercials. And if the tour is going to sell a title sponsorship package to uh, 3M, 3M gets a certain amount of spots in the broadcast. The local broadcasters get a couple minutes at the top and bottom of each hour to do their local, you know, that's why when they always say, we'll be back with this with a word from your local CBS stations. That's the local break that will sell. So if you're on DirecTV, you're going to get a different commercial than if you're watching in Jacksonville and you're watching in San Diego. Um, then you have promotional announcements for the tour, the, the, the live under par spots. You have promotions for, you know, coming up late night on Colbert. Like, it just adds up. So ultimately, what we've done is we've shown on digital fronts that we can do golf commercial free, and it's way better that way. Um, at the U.S. Open, we severely limit our commercials. Once we hit 15, we're not even allowed to take anymore. But this year, um, you know, we got a little behind and we had to do a little bit more. But like, you know, it's really hard because when you come on the air at 10 o'clock in the morning, if someone's tuning in at that point, you want to show them golf. Right. But you also want to get your commercials out of the way before the leaders tee off. But so the commercial's I think, probably more valuable when the leaders are out. The exactly. Course, so that yeah. you've just run into the conundrum. So yeah. I think what, what needs to happen is all these contracts, and, and, you know, they're in the middle of negotiating right now for 2021. Um, you know, I would expect by the end of the year, we're going to know a lot more than we know now. Yeah. But I think that's going to be a big change in it. It's how can we make it profitable for the broadcaster and for the entity selling the rights to the tour while making it better for the fan? Because these are old contracts. That's what yes. no one gets. These contracts are so old. Uh, I mean, I was still, I think, at USA Network when this contract started. And I've been there in like uh -huh. 10 years. So it's, it's, or maybe I was at ESPN, but it's, it's one of these things where, we're, we were, you know, everyone wants these long-term things. And I always make fun of that the next, you know, we're going to award the 2075 U.S. Open pretty soon because they're just going so far ahead right. for reasons I don't understand. But they did the same thing with the TV contracts. And the fact that these went through 2021 and they were negotiated, what, in 2011? That's a long time. And a lot has changed in that, a lot in that has time changed. period. And I wonder if that's going to change, like, uh, for those that don't know, we can't go out to a tour event and film basically anything. Nor, nor, nor can well, we at Callaway. It's just so, and that's kind of part of this TV contract. And they've basically yeah. sold the the rights inside the ropes to Correct. all the networks. And even if it's something that's not going to show up, clearly not going to show up on a broadcast, yeah. you can't even touch it, like not even Correct. close. And that, I think, severely limits like golf in general. I'm just watching some of the majors pop up, the things that people are allowed to do on site that we would love to be yeah. able to do. And, yeah, and, and, and look, you're not trying to steal from no. the, the, the network broadcaster. To me, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and we've said this to the tour, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday should be fair game for any. You should want all, all of us doing it. Oh, like, like think golly. about think about at, at an NBA Finals game, you know, the amount of media that is there doing stuff on the floor yeah. or around the arena just before tip, and they all go dark at tip. All we would do, you guys, us, any content creator, 
would just build interest for the event, that's and it would actually it. help it's the sponsor. It's free for them. I it know. doesn't cost them. They don't have to pay us to do but it. But that's that's the old thinking that still exists. Right. That's in contracts. And and what I what I truly don't understand, and, I, and I'm sure it's just you know the money of it, and and these are such big deals. Because I mean, think about it. What if the Golf Channel lost a ton of early round golf? What if they lost a ton of the PGA Tour? What if they, what if they lost all the PGA Tour? That could happen. Yeah. Then they're not the golf channel anymore. Yeah. So they're going to protect those rights with everything they have. You know, you saw CBS Sean McManus say a couple uh, in an investor call that he will do whatever it takes to get keep the NFL on CBS. And he doesn't want it going to Zone or, or Netflix or any of these other things. Um, these are important to those guys. And these are where livelihoods and checks are, are, are kind of made. So I think it's one of those things where um, – it's so old that it would be smart if they all get in a room and said, let's figure this out. Hey, can we take two and a half minutes out of commercials? I mean, the NFL did it last year. They, they took didn't. time out of commercials where they would not allow a broadcaster to go, they'd call double up, where you have the touchdown, extra point commercial, yeah. comeback, kickoff commercial. They, they took gone. that away, and they added a little time to halftime. Well, golf hmm. has no halftime. Yeah. When are you going to do it? That's what I was going to ask is what is the solution? Like, do you see one? Because like I said, like I can't, I can't do – I think it's like 18, 30-second spots per yeah, hour or something it's too like much. that. It's and too much. It feels like more than that because, yeah. I would imagine, because of all the sponsored stuff that's within the actual broadcast. Yeah. And yeah. then it, I, I just want to I I believe that there's another option out there. Yeah. I'm not I smart mean, to, to know what to, it is. To, to me, it's, it's got to get to the point where you almost have kind of what you have in the Augusta Media Center, which I've never been in since they've done this, but just every group is available and you're paying money to CBS and you can watch a show if you want or you can just create your own adventure. Hmm. And you can go in and look and choose and do whatever you want. Um, I, I think that's the only way really to do it. And then the other way to do it is just to limit those commercial hours and and go with the model of the next 22 minutes of the 3M Invitational is presented by 3M and just leave their logo up on the screen the whole time. And that's and, where, and, like, and that doesn't bother me much. But yeah. but again, to 3M, is that really working for them? You know, does does Callaway benefit because we're not going to sponsor? You know, we're going to sponsor twenty minutes of coverage, and none of our guys are shown in that twenty minutes. Right. Or are we going to try to force them to show our guys? It, it's a really tough thing. But limiting the commercial hours and working with the network, you know, it might mean the tour taking less money. I mean, not that they would ever do this, but if they took less money, there would be less reason to sell commercials. That and it's also there's there's got to be a diminishing returns at some point where like if you and I are going to sit here, it's two of the biggest golf fans. Probably like we're in the probably one percent of golf fans yeah. in the world. We definitely are. Like if we have trouble watching the product, like who who's going to sit there and watch it? At some point, there has to be a trade off with like with more eyeballs on it, making it more interesting is going to make this this the yeah. it's the same model that we have for our podcast. Like yeah. with you guys, we don't you know part of we don't have eighty sponsors on the podcast, yeah. and that's part of like what the value is for you guys yeah. in it. And I, there's there's a trade off there, and I think they've they've teetered way way too far on the other end, and it just yeah. has me so nervous for the future of well golf. well to give you some encouraging news, you know Jay Monahan's never done a TV contract. So this is we're still we're still living in, in in the Tim Fincham era. So this is his opportunity to put his stamp on 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 the future of the game. And look, you know, I'm tired of grow the game initiatives because yeah. everybody has one. Here is an actual initiative that could really impact people's enjoyment of the game. Because my son, I have a 13 year old son. He will never watch golf because he does not have the attention span for all the interruptions. It's not just commercials. It's going to a blimp shot and and doing a billboard. It's it's everything that stops me from seeing golf action. Whereas if you watch these digital feeds, and that's why it was so unique for me doing that, that featured group the many years ago, and that's a lot of the stuff that we could do at the match, I could show you every shot in a place. And you may just have 20 places, and it may be up to you to figure out which place you want to be. Yeah. And that's yeah. Two things on that. One, I, Jay Monahan, I, when I he's on the podcast in the fall of 2017, we actually got to do it in Korea, 
and like once once we turned the mics off, he honestly he gave me like he was kind of familiar with some of the criticisms I had with yeah. CBS and whatnot. He gave me like 10, 15 minutes, like, all right, what's Good. your beef? What's the situation here? And like listen to me. And I have no I cannot imagine that that's gonna actually have a tangible impact, but he at least wanted to understand where yeah, and, like, the hardcore fan is coming from. And on my this. bet is you're not the only person he's talked to. It so anyone if, I've talked if, to on the tour has oh as, you know, kind of they give you a little like, yeah, you guys are pretty hard on us for all this, but like, yeah, yeah we kind of privately think the same thing. Well, but but I also think that that they're inherently jealous that that you know you guys came up with the name of what their whole marketing campaign should be. <laughs> so I think you have to deal with that a little bit yeah. and take it with a grain of salt. Um, moving on, I want to talk some about the match because I think yeah. the reason why we were so interested in it is I thought there was a great opportunity to kind of do have and invoke some of the changes that we had talked about. Um, first of all, I kind of want your reaction. You were you were involved from the beginning to end in this whole project. What worked for you guys? What didn't work? And what can we expect in the future? Yeah, I mean, uh, what didn't work was only having one feed. And you'll see this is a theme in my thinking of how television is. So um, I'm going to say when it happens again. I'm not going to use the word if. Um, and maybe later than you think, because uh, timing's still being worked out on what what kind of the the, the act two is going to be. I think we'll have multiple feeds, and I think that would have solved everybody's issue because I think you want one feed that would have announcers talking. Uh, I think you want one feed that will have zero announcers and it's just mics, and you're going to get some really awkward silence, and you're going to get some mixes where like a guy's talking, and it takes the guy a second to realize who's talking because there's so many mics out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think I need a Charles Barkley only feed. I need a feed. I need to call it Charles in charge. He could have his friends because I got to hear Charles in a pre here my the entire you know match mm-hmm. until sixteen when it, when he's like all right I'm out. Um, but man, it was it was the most entertaining thing you could hear. But I don't think everyone wants to hear that all the time. Right. So I think that that's the key. You know, the the beauty of of this this company, this Warner Media company that that does this is they have all these assets. They have BR Live. They have TNT. They have you know HBO. They have all this this media now. I think we can come up with a strategy to give you guys sort of different feeds. So I think that didn't work. I think we tried to do everything, and it was just hard. Because remember, after the first yeah. tee shots, I remember saying to the guys, "Okay, guys, nobody talk after the first tee shot." And they didn't. And we heard Phil and Tiger walk up and start uh, 18 holes of awkward conversation. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think part of it is we need to have more than two players. That's the format. And, didn't set and them the up format. Right. Well, I mean, the format would have set it up. It would have been Lee Tribino in his prime and somebody who could <laughs> yeah. match him. But, you know, Phil is amazing. Phil could talk about everything to anybody. And, and look, Tiger's an introvert. Well, and, Phil can't really push Tiger around, you no. know, and he kind of needs to be the dad in the group and, it, you know what I mean, like and kind of yeah. needle people. And he's, he just can't needle them because he's got the trump card. Yeah, <laughs> it's that. And, and I think, quite frankly, the other thing that got really kind of off kilter was nobody understood the gambling that was allowed. And even in the morning meeting where we had kind of like a final rules meeting with the players, you know, the players were confused. Well, hold on. If I bet $100,000 in a challenge and he doesn't win the challenge, does that count towards the amount we're allowed to do? Because I don't think it's a secret. The tour didn't want the amount of money to overshadow what FedEx pays for the FedEx Cup. And to me, that's that's the asinine thinking that we're dealing with in golf that has to change. And it is going to change. But like these guys had some challenges where they didn't win. And I think they both thought, all right, well, I already spent 200K. Well, no, you didn't. Right. You wait. Like, so everyone's like, well, why didn't they challenge after 13? And I asked the guys after, like, well, we thought we were done. So that needs to be fixed. Yeah. And I think that will inherently be fixed. I also think there just needs to be a little more of an entertainment aspect to it. Yes. It um, is an entertainment product. And, and through it's, and yeah. Through. And like Sam Jackson was awesome. Like, I'll tell you, the coolest thing of the whole week for me was uh, we made a decision about a week before that he would do the first T intros. So Mike Mant, who was uh, my boss, according to the producer, we wrote something up. 
And we walked in to meet him in the morning, and it's like, wow, this is Sam Jackson. So you go up to him like, hey, how you doing? I'm Jeff. I'm producer today. Uh, this guy, Matt, he's going to be pointing at you at one point within the first team. You're going to read this intro. So I said, here's some suggested copy, but do what you want, man. I'm not going to try to write for you. He's like, I got it all good. And he goes up there, and literally we pointed to him, and he read word for word what we wrote. <laughs> and that was like a pretty kind of energizing feeling. Yeah. Um, but the other thing I thought that was success was that by not having those commercials and by just showing all the golf that I don't think we cheated people. Uh, I don't think the golf was very well played. No. I think the greens were not in the condition they needed to be in in order to allow for made putts. They just had so many little subtleties and slopes, and quite frankly, they were coming off their reseeding, um, and they do it differently. There, They do it like Augusta. They completely get rid of the grass and redo it. Wow. So um, they looked great. <laughs> In terms of like yeah. aesthetically, but man, they didn't they didn't roll. They were little bobbles and stuff. Okay, um, and then it got dark. Yeah, and that was interesting. <laughs> I I think like and feel free to run with the suggestion if you like. I think yeah. there's something to you know. I think you and I had talked about it too. The two booths just it was it was a lot. Like it was just a lot of talking. Yeah, and an option would be no booth. Right. And somebody we'll like have. Shane yeah. is just an MC. Yeah, like you still have an announcer out there, but I don't need to know. No. Oh, this is gonna break left to right. Like this is this is different. Like we're yeah. doing something different here. Just the kind of needle like yeah. and having Sam Jackson or Charles Barkley out on the course, yeah. out there to heck mic'd up, but like if he wants to heckle the guys a little bit, yeah. kind of get that banter going more so. I mean, some of the best the best comparables I had was like looking at old skins games clips when like Fred Funk, when Annika Sorenstam yeah. outdrove Fred Funk yeah. and he had to wear a skirt, which yep. You know, got people a little yeah. upset politically, but, but, but like but, that kind of banter. But the difference is, you had four guys. Yes, and and I think you know, at the end of the day, Tiger really wanted to beat Phil, and I can tell you because Phil was out there all week. Phil wanted to crush Tiger. Yeah, and they got into it. You know, the the comp that Mike Mant used was this is going to be like an '80s NBA All Star game. So remember the '80s NBA All Star games? You'd have Isaiah, Mahorn, you'd have Jordan, you'd have Magic, you'd have Bird, you'd have McHale, all these Hall of Famers. Dominique. The first half, there's a lot of grab ass going on. They would yuck, they would joke, they would call one-on-one. When it got down to four minutes left in that game, mm-hmm. it was, I'm going to beat you. And if I have to you know, clothesline you, Bill Lambeer, to, to get that rebound, Kareem, I'm going to do it. And that's sort of where these guys, when they got to about 12 or 13, they got such into game mode that they weren't talking, they right. weren't betting, they wanted to beat each other. Because, you know, $9 million isn't chump change, even right. for them. But more than that, they wanted the pride. And they wanted to win so bad that that kind of they stopped entertaining. And I think that if we had four people out there, I think you would have greater opportunity for entertainment, mm-hmm. particularly if the right four guys are picked, guys or gals are picked. Uh, I think we could do something pretty amazing. Yeah, I feel like there's something neat that needs to be more translatable to fans. And like honestly, while I'm watching it, I didn't care who won. Yeah, and that that's an issue I think because I don't care who wins the money there. I if it, and I don't know if it's a well, money I think thing. It's, if if it was their own money, you'd care. I think I would more, but I can't imagine that's easy to do. Like yeah. I, from a, like one, getting them to sign up for that. Yeah. Two, you could fake it kind of, but I don't think you can get away no, with that. No, no. Really, you, you'd get caught. Uh, I think the other thing that was successful was the gambling part of it. Yeah, and I think that that needed to be almost. We were at one point going to have that as its own feed, where we basically have you know like whether it's a Todd Furman, a cousin Sal, uh, you know, guys who are gambling experts on a set and that'd be a different channel you know again different feeds because that's the beauty of this br world you can have six different feeds doesn't cost a dime yeah um you'd be able to really go in depth on the gambling because i think when 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 you play golf part of the thing that's attractive is the gamble 
and to be able to have them play complex things. And, you know, the guys at the MGM, we were putting up at the end of each hole what the money was bet on them each hole, what the results were, whatever. But we really couldn't prognosticate about the next hole, and I think that's what's missing. Yeah. I think if I can get to the second hole and before they tee off, say, hey, Phil's 3-1 to one, according to the books to win this hole because this hole favors a cut, and Phil's going to have to have, a, as a lefty, he's going to have a much easier shot than Tiger's going to have doing this. And also, the proximity of the hole on 150-yard shots, Phil is 10% better, and that's what this hole is going to lead to ultimately. Hmm. Yeah. What a, we, I know you got to wrap here shortly, yeah. but I, I was kind of hesitant in, in kind of seeing how it was used at the match. I think it's very difficult. Uh, you explained some of that to me just with the crowds and how hard it is to use drones to cover golf. Yeah. I thought what they did at Fox this year yeah. at Pebble was incredible. And it, it, so basically, I was hesitant to seeing how it could work, and now I, I saw a model. What do you see the so, future of drone so coverage? Let, let's golf? talk about that. And I don't care if I'm late to my next thing because I'm really passionate <laughs> about this. So, so Steve Beim and Louis Estes. And the guys who put the drone together at Pebble uh, were heroes. So what happened was we originally had a powered, tethered drone that was going to be out there on a boat. Like on a cord. Yeah, yeah, yeah tethered. So that allows you to do things rule-wise, regulation-wise that you wouldn't be able to do. Now, the advantage of Pebble versus very other... And we had a drone at Chambers Bay. I don't know if you remember. It was out over the, the sound, over Puget okay. Sound there. Um, but having it over the body of water... And being able to not interfere, and then the fact that a blimp was up in the air overhead to mask the noise, that was key. Mm -hmm. We never got it that close to the players. The match, we got it right on top of the guys. Right. And there was no one else out there. The issues are liability. You can't really fly it over people, so that's going to be the problem. Um, and then the transmission signals are getting better and better. The drone that we flew is an Inspire 2, DJI. which is which is DJI drone. That's not like a million-dollar drone that like you can't go buy. Drone. Yeah, we're about 10000 with all the lens and yeah. attachments on it, plus the RF gear, which is what costs a lot to do it. So the tether drone just wasn't working. Uh, I don't know whether it was power, wind, weight. What, it just wasn't working. So we got permission. Everyone worked together, and we got FAA permission to fly it untethered. And we, I think we had a, a four or five of them. So one would go up, go the 20 minutes, because that's the other limiting factor. They only have about 20 minutes of battery. Literally, it would come down. They would hand the, the pilot the next one, and it would be up in the air, and we'd keep going. That's awesome. So swapping the signal. So that was pretty pretty amazing. But Was it out on a boat? Yeah, boat yeah. So there was a little <laughs> boat. Uh, you could sort of see it in a couple shots that was uh, looked like a regular old fishing boat, probably a 30-foot fishing boat. And instead of uh, casting lines, they were casting uh, visuals. But I think drones are the key. The, the question is, how do you do drones where you are covering a group where you don't have it over another group? Yeah. That's what's going to be so challenging. Um, you know, that's a work with the coast there at Pebble. Yeah, coast is going to work. But like, if you're doing a, a landlocked course, like even like let's say TPC Sawgrass, which I know most of our listeners are going to be very familiar with, where are you going to put it? Because no. if you're flying it on 17, you're interfering with 16 and 18 and 9. So it just makes it super, super difficult. You could do it on your perimeter holes. Like you probably could do it on 8 there, but who really wants it on 8? Yeah. So you, you got to sort of figure this out of how we can figure this this to, to be safer. Uh, and then the camera quality is getting better and better. So as we get into 8K and 16K, those little sensors will get better to wear. Because the other thing is you want it to match with your other cameras. You yeah. don't want it to look like, you know, a poor, uh, you know, you know, lens, like an iPhone 2 taking a picture against, you know, a giant, you know, Sony 7. Yeah. Honestly, I've been there, but I didn't remember how far downhill no. the 7th hole well, is. Well, <laughs> but, but here's the awesome. thing. Here, here, here's the thing. And, and, and CBS won't mind me saying this. I don't think. I don't really care. But they're always off the air when we're on those holes. I know. So no one ever sees the greatest holes on the planet, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. So the fact that we were not off the air, we already won. Yeah. So that that was the difference. That's what made it one. But then the fact that Steve and Mark and the whole technical team put the time and effort into this drone. And what was funny is one of the cooler shots was Phil hitting a tee shot. I can't remember what hole it was on. It may have been on eight. It was on 11. Or 11. Yeah, yeah, it was on 11. Yeah. And, and we just did it from the drone. Yes. Um, truth, that wasn't supposed to happen. We didn't want to be on the drone, but we were. We're like, screw it. Let's do it. And the drone 
didn't have the right audio because of the delay. Yeah. Because we went to Tracer with Drone, which we didn't even know we could do. Um, but we just kind of did it anyway. And, yeah. and if you heard a couple milliseconds of audio off, we apologize. It's, that's it the still forgivable cool stuff. Still it was a cool, a cool different shot. Last thing. Uh, we've talked about a lot on here. The coverage gap. Help yeah. me help me understand that. Is there any future in that ever going away? In, in the next contract, if it doesn't go away, I'll be shocked. Okay. I mean, it just has to go away. And and look, there's nothing wrong with, you know, we flip from FS1 to Fox. We take a three and a half minute commercial break to do it. And That's all we need to do. Is there a graphics change yeah. in that? It's yeah, we cha- well, I mean, yeah. we change from FS1 graphics to Fox graphics. But I'm telling you, in, in 2019 and 2020, there's a way. Well, the, the part that made me upset, and they have shortened it, I think, on Sundays from 30 minutes to 15 minutes. Yeah. That almost made it worse to me because it was just because everyone was complaining and they've had this capability yeah. the whole time while they're yeah. Yeah. kicking their feet up. And, yeah. and why don't you do it on Saturdays for 15 minutes? If you can do it in 15 minutes, exactly. just do it 15 minutes. Exactly. If you, can, you know, but here, here's the thing. Like, I would have no problem if that what they did is they, for the last six or seven minutes of that broadcast, if that's what it takes, that they go back to an Orlando studio or a CBS New York studio and give me some highlight because nothing of consequence is truly happening at that point. And mm-hmm. if it is, you can replay, it. but you can't replay a half hour. Right. But you could go away and and I don't care. Give me a couple baseball scores and show me. You know, I mean, God, some of the moments we've had in baseball the last couple of weeks have been pretty amazing. Do that, and then by the time you've done that, toss it back, and we should be good to go. And I don't need these elaborate opens. You know, these elaborate opens that are off the top of the show are really just for us in, in the truck. Mm-hmm. If if we had to dumb it down to give the graphics folks, and if we showed three minutes of shots and said, hey, we're going to tell you who this is until our graphics machines come up, you'd be happier. Mm-hmm. But get an extra graphic machine yeah. and, and just have it sitting there. Hmm. It's uh, just money. Yeah, it's all money. And it's really easy on this side of the desk it is. to say that. But I do want to invite you out. Uh, to figure out at one of the Fox events, uh, you know, maybe Wingfoot next year. I, I think you'd really be interested in seeing, especially like how Tuesday turns into Wednesday, turns into Thursday, because this is the last thing I'll leave you with. The most important day when you're getting ready for one of these big championships to me is Tuesday afternoon. Because mm-hmm. if you don't identify what doesn't work on Tuesday afternoon, you can't get it fixed on Wednesday. And if it doesn't work on Wednesday, it ain't working the whole week. Yeah. And and that's always been the biggest thing is that we put a lot of time and effort into the Tuesday afternoon facilities check, rehearsal, technical rehearsal, where we literally look at every hole, every mic, every channel of replay, every camera, and dial it in. Because if it's not done then, it isn't going to work. Hmm. It's a lot of a lot, lot goes into it. We, I think we just scratched the surface here today. Yeah, and if so. people have any questions, we'd be happy to yeah. you know, have them reach out to you, and then uh, I can answer them you know, either online and, awesome. and in a uh, post somewhere or whatever. We can do this again. Appreciate it. Thanks, Jeff. No problem. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Expect anything.